Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The confidence there won't, uh, won't lessen as far as how I feel about BMAC winning games for us. I mean, he's, he's been really good for us. And at half, I mean, that's, that's totally on me. You know, I'm trying to be greedy and get three more points there, and it costs us three. So um, I get that. But um, the guys played really hard, and it's a resilient group. You know, we got to finish better. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle on 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me in victory and in defeat is my co-host, Zach Kelberman. Zach, you are the Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports, and it seems like each and every week the story's the same. It's another Broncos loss. And it stems from one person and one person only most of the time, and that is Vance Joseph. Coaching, coaching, coaching. Coaching, coaching, coaching. There's your hashtag for for today, boys and girls. We got a lot to get to uh, today. But first, just real quick, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Take some time, if you haven't done it, to leave a creative review. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes especially. But wherever you're listening to the show, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, Spotify, wherever. Also, we got to talk really quick and remind you about the phenomenal new podcast, Fantasy foresight make sure you guys stay ahead of the curve with this new podcast fantasy foresight host jay and ben focus 100 on fantasy football they share their total foresight with private metrics and projections to help you win your fantasy football league if you play fantasy football whether you're a savvy vet or if this is your rookie season you can't afford to miss their podcast again it's called fantasy foresight Find it on iTunes. We'll have the link in the notes of this show. Find the Fantasy Foresight Podcast. All right, so Denver Broncos dropped their sixth game of the season. This time they lose another close one to the Texans, 19-17. And right out of the gates, the Houston Texans, I mean, they were firing shots across the Broncos' bow uh, Mm -hmm. on a a, um, macro level, on a meta level throughout this whole game, but it started right off the bat with Bill O'Brien working to get Demarius Thomas involved in the game plan early. You saw uh, Deshaun Watson target Demarius Thomas twice on the opening drive, picked up 49 yards, and put the the Texans in position to draw first blood. But, you know, you guys haven't heard from us yet, Zach and I, on the podcast in terms of, or since the Demarius Thomas trade, the Broncos, of course, dealt him right before the deadline. They got back a what was it, Zach, a fourth-round pick? Fourth-rounder, yeah. Uh, and they also gave up a seventh-round pick just to kind of increase the value a little bit. So They the swapped seventh-rounders. They swapped. Okay, there you go. So the Denver Broncos parted ways with probably the second-best wide receiver in franchise history. What were your thoughts overall 
on the trade. We'll talk about the game, but just real quick, your thoughts on the DT trade. You know, I actually liked it a lot, and I understand it from a financial standpoint and from a personnel standpoint. I thought Elway did really well to get a fourth-rounder back for Demarius Thomas for a player that every NFL team knew the Broncos were going to cut next offseason. He had no future here. The clock began ticking on DT as soon as they drafted Cortland Sutton, and it finally ran out on him. So I thought Elway, a fourth-rounder, when Golden Tate went for a third, a fourth-rounder is solid compensation. They clear $14 million and salary cap space off the books next season for 2019. That's a big chunk of change. You can put toward an extension, a contract, anything. Um, I totally understand it. I know it's tough for Broncos fans to deal with. I know it stings in the short term, but the long term, it was for the benefit of the franchise. And I actually give Elway a lot of credit for having the cashews to make that move and hold firm on a fourth round pick, which you got back. The cashews, baby. (laughs) Gotta have them. Gotta have them. We know what comes. We've talked about it before on this show. What comes at a at a premium when you're rebuilding cap space and draft picks? And the Broncos acquired both uh, by trading away Demarius Thomas. Now, it was a sad moment in time, especially today, for a lot of Broncos fans to see Thomas just so quickly off the bat. You know, the trade is made, and just a few short days later, he's catching passes against the Denver Broncos. So it was it kind of hurt, tugged at the heartstrings for a lot of people in Broncos country. But if you really analyze this thing from a, not just X's and O's, but just what makes football sense. I mean, this was the right thing to do. The Broncos got good value for Demarius Thomas, who, you know, he's going to be 31 years old in December, next month. So, mm-hmm. the you know, you want to talk about the clock ticking. Father time is not as kind to everyone as he is to guys like Larry Fitzgerald. So we've seen DT kind of fall off in terms of his ability to present and create those explosive plays that we saw him um, produce on a consistent level week in, week out with Peyton Manning pulling the trigger. It's been a while. I mean, you know, he's, he's consistent. And that's one thing John Elway talked about after the trade, when he was doing his press conference and in the tweets and his interviews is that, you know, one thing you can say if you're going to talk about Demarius Thomas is that he's consistent, he's reliable, you can count on him week in and week out to suit up. You might not always get, you know, like you saw from DeAndre Hopkins on Sunday, 10 receptions and, you know, 100 plus yards and a touchdown, but you're going to get a consistent, solid contribution. And that's what the Bron- or the, the Texans picked up here uh, in their acquisition of Demarius Thomas. So we move on. Let's move on and talk about the game itself. And right out of the gates, I think the topic that is most salient on the minds of Denver Broncos fans right now is Vance Joseph and how he really derailed this game. And I mean, the Broncos lost by two points. And you can argue, and I wrote about this after the game, that Vance Joseph's fateful decision at the end of the second quarter to attempt that 62-yarder is probably what ultimately cost the Broncos the game's act. I put it on Twitter that it was a six-point swing in a two-point game. He, he hastily, you know, green lights a 62-yard attempt rather than take a timeout and confer on the decision, or maybe even opt to punt and live to fight another half. But he rushes McManus out there for a 62-yard attempt when it was a very windy day at Mile High, and he misses, and he gives the, the Texans a short field, and the Texans march down the field and squeeze in a field goal of their own. That's a six-point swing. It falls on Vance Joseph, and we say it all the time, but it comes down to coaching. And even at the end of the second half, in the final seconds of the fourth quarter, they are marching down the field, and they let too much time tick off the clock, and they just kind of uh, set up him for a 51-yard attempt. That's not a chip shot. 
and he wanted to move down further. I saw a quote on Twitter that said he wanted to get down to the 35. That's why he didn't try for more yards. In what universe does that make sense? What kind of coaching logic is that? So, yeah, this loss, and, I, and many others do, but this one falls squarely on Vance Joseph because, for once, I thought Case Keenum played well enough to win. Uh, the defense did what they had to do. They pretty much held the Texans in check. It falls on coaching. It all comes down to it. And that was a six-point swing. If they would have just knocked in a better field goal attempt or if they had better foresight and better situational in-game awareness, they would have won this game. But that's the story of the Vance Joseph era. For fans who want to see this, you can go to Mile High Huddle Twitter and you can see the retweet. But a cat by the name of Nick Mahan, at Teen Wolf 69 on Twitter, captured nice. a shot of Bill O'Brien walking off the field at the end of the second quarter, heading for the tunnel. Oh, and man. You can read his <laughs> lips. He claps his hands because the, the Texans, of course, had just pounded through their own field goal, those extra three points that ended up being the difference in a win and a loss for the Texans today. But you could see Bill O'Brien as he's jogging off. The field goal goes through. He claps his hand. Yeah. Then he says, good job, Vance, you dumb bleep. <laughs> pretty clear. I mean, you, you can't know for sure, but it's pretty clear that's what he's saying. And anyone who remembers Bill O'Brien from that episode or that season, I should say, of HBO's Hard Knocks when the Texans were the focus. I mean, he's a guy that likes to throw around the F-bomb quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, which is, you know, it's pretty common in football for football coaches. Uh, I mean, Bruce Arians was probably my favorite coach in that regard. He's yes. got some colorful language. And Bill O'Brien's not far behind him. Not as funny uh, as as Bruce Arians. But, yeah, that was uh, pretty pretty stark. That one's going to be making its rounds around the Internet and uh, social media tonight. That. Uh, he said what every Broncos fan was thinking at that exact moment. Good job, Vance, you dumb bleep. I mean, that's you don't really see it too much in the NFL with coaches talking, you know, smack to other coaches. That's kind of like a, a baseball thing. But it just goes to show you that how little respect Vance Joseph garners around the NFL, even with his peers, his counterparts. He is not respected on a, on a league-wide level. And um if it takes Bill O'Brien, you know, that going viral to, for more, more people to figure out how bad Vance Joseph is, so be it. We might as well get to this right now before we dive into some of the, the nuts and bolts of this game. But what are your, what's your take on when the Broncos make the decision to fire Vance Joseph? Obviously, at this point, six losses. They still, the Broncos still haven't even played the Chargers yet, and they have them twice left on the schedule, plus the right. remaining teams of the AFC North. It's, it's looking pretty da, uh, dat-gum grim for the Denver Broncos at this point. But do the Den, does John Elway make the decision going into this bye? Because if you're going to fire Vance Joseph in season, a good argument can be made that now's the time to do it because the bye week gives whoever your interim is the opportunity to kind of settle in all the new roles that might get assigned with the firing of Vance Joseph and the way things that kind of get changed up. Guys can settle in and kind of overcome those new changes and, you know, head into the week 11 or whatever it is. Yeah, week 11 to take on the next opponent. Or the Denver Broncos can say, you know what, what do we have to gain by firing Vance Joseph at this point? We're just going to fire him at the end of the season and just roll the dice. Because one thing to keep in mind here. Zach, and this is for all the listeners too, is that, you know, the Broncos do have a lot of young players that they are now, that they're playing now, but they're especially going to feature and focus on as this season winds down. So you you risk really upsetting the apple cart in that sense when you know he's a lame duck, you know you're going to fire him anyway at the, at the end of the season. So you might right. as well take this remaining time left for 
him to at least have the stability at the coaching level for these young players to get as much under their belt, education, knowledge, coaching as they possibly can before you fire this guy. Yeah, there's that. I get this question so much on Facebook, on Twitter, everywhere. They, everyone wants to know, when are they going to fire Vance? It, can this be the day? My gut tells me that it would have taken just a monumental blowout loss in today's game for Elway to even consider it. I don't know why I think that, you know, considering how aggressive Elway likes to be, very unpredictable, nothing would surprise me. But my gut tells me he's not going to make any changes over the bye week. The earliest advanced Joseph firing would come, in my opinion, would be sometime in December, like how the Broncos handled Josh McDaniels. They're going to give him a couple more games, and they continue to lose coming out of the bye. Then they'll make that that you know that transition. But they don't have anyone on staff right now who's a young up and coming candidate. You know, Bill Musgrave, Mike Sullivan, Clint Kubiak, Gary Kubiak's not walking through that door literally. So I, I just don't see it coming right now. I think the most realistic outcome is waiting until the end of the year, and like you said, it's a matter of when, not if they fire him, and giving him the rest of the year and and letting the players think they can still contend and not have to deal with a looming coaching change over their heads and not have to deal with those questions and that outside noise and just go through the motions. They're not going to make the playoffs. That's obvious. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, they're on a life support right now. It's not going to happen, but you can at least see what you have in your younger players and you can just keep your eye on the coaching candidates around the NFL. It all depends on who LA wants to hire. He can't hire anyone right now. Anyway, if he's waiting on John Harbaugh to get fired, he's not going to get fired tomorrow. So it makes no sense to fire Vance Joseph right now. If he wants a coordinator, you can't hire him until the season's over. So I, my personal feeling is that he doesn't do it this week. Vance said in his press conference he's going to make some minor tweaks. We don't know what that entails, but no major changes he foresees. Now, he can't fire himself. I, I just don't see it with Elway. I think the earliest would be December, and I think the most plausible outcome would be the end of the season, and they hold a press conference and say, you know, we're going in a different direction. Thanks you know, for your service, Vance, but we're letting you go. The only person that fires themselves is Richard Nixon. Let's face it. No one's going to fire them. <laughs> That's a good point. No, no one's about to step down, especially when you're making the kind of money that Vance Joseph is. And, you know, the Broncos are on the hook for that entire salary, as far as I, I understand it, through that five-year deal he signed. So wherever he goes, you know, he's going to be taking a step down in salary as a coordinator or as a position coach. But... In his mind, if he thinks he can salvage his what's left of his head coaching career, he's going to give it a shot. He's not going to just step down. But one thing I'll say is this, too. This, this is a factor that we learned this past week, and this is another reason why you guys need to become VIP subscribers at milehighhuddle.com because you know we're not the Mike Clisses of the world. We're not getting fed all of the inside information as it's happening in real time. But we do have sources at Dove Valley. We do have sources around the league that we pick up information time to time. Most of the time that the real nuggets come during draft season and free agency. But during the season, we pick stuff up. We got our ear to the ground. And one thing we learned, and I'll share this with you, even though it was for the VIPs last week, about the Broncos' decision-making and what they're factoring in here with the Vance Joseph situation is that they've tested the waters, and it doesn't appear as if anyone wants the interim head coach job currently mm-hmm. on staff. And I think one of the reasons for that, no coach wanting to step up and say, give it to me, is because they can see that this this team is, I mean, it's off the rails. I mean, it's not like they're getting blown out week in and week out. This this does have a very different complexion than the 2017 team. I mean, they're battling close. They're coming up just short. There's those two or three crucial plays that if you flip them, they go the other way in each and every game. You're talking about a team right now that's 
six and three as opposed to three and six. So it's different, but these coaches know which way it's going. And they got, I mean, they've already bitten off more than they can chew anyways. And that's one of the downsides to, you know, before this season started, for example, to me, the no brainer, if Vance Joseph were to get fired would be Bill Musgrave for a lot of reasons, especially considering that he's an Elway guy. They're boys, put it that way. Okay. Elway Mm -hmm. wants to give Bill Musgrave every opportunity to succeed. They're friends, et cetera. But not only that, Musgrave has a lot of experience as a coach and a coordinator, really about the only thing he's never been in the NFL is a head coach. So it would make sense. He was viewed going into this season, I know, from people I've talked to around the league as a possible head coaching candidate heading into the 2019 coaching carousel. But as we've seen this year, his offense has just not done well enough for him to garner that kind of you know juice by the time that carousel rolls around. So right. and not only that, I mean, he's he seems to be a little bit embattled at this point. And I wouldn't quite say in over his head because he's dealt with some his fair share of personnel obstacles and, and issues at the quarterback level and offensive line. So Bill Musgrave, he was the no-brainer option. But now, if he doesn't want it, which is what we're hearing, who else are you going to turn to? Joe Woods isn't ready for that. And if guys like you know Reggie Herring or Bill Kolar, if they don't want the job, Zach – I mean, the Broncos really don't have a whole heck of a lot of choice except to just grind this thing out and then just force the situation in December and just tap someone and say, look, whoever it might be, Bill, I know you don't want it, but this is your job for the rest of the season. It's interesting, too, because I I don't blame Musgrave if he doesn't want it because he has to know that if Vance gets fired, he gets fired. A new coach would bring in their own coaching staff. So he's coaching for his uh, hit in his last couple of games with Denver also. Yeah, it's a good point. It's not a desirable job right now with a, a lack of a, a franchise quarterback with a lot of roster overhaul upcoming and working under John Elway, one of the toughest bosses in the NFL. It's not this premier job as it was in 2016, uh, you know, and when they got rid of Gary Kubiak and, and hired after 2017, excuse me. It's not the same thing. They're not coming off the Super Bowl anymore. They're a playoffless season, a rudderless team that has a lot of rebuilding to do, even if Elway doesn't want to admit it. So they really, and it, I think you're right. That's why I think also that they're going to go at the end of the year and just give Vance the, the remainder they don't have another option. The apple cart can't be upset because there's no one to stabilize the apple cart. It has to be Vance or it's nobody else, and that's why I think they'll get in the end of the year. Fans are clamoring right now for him to get fired, and I just keep telling people it's not going to happen. It's going to happen in January, the first couple days of it or so. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I'll say is that it's not like John Elway needs much more of an excuse to fire Vance Joseph. I mean, losing 17 of his 25 games – as head coach of the Denver Broncos, is excuse enough to fire Vance Joseph. But you kind of do need an excuse to make a firing halfway through the season. Right. And, you know, in this case, Vance Joseph was the impetus behind the Denver Broncos losing a close game that they should have won at home with that decision at the end of the second quarter. So if he d- was looking for a reason to fire Vance Joseph midseason, he's got it. But I agree with you, Zach. It's it's hard seeing the Broncos ripping the Band-Aid off and making that decision now, especially knowing what we know about the coaching landscape at this point within the team. Now, we still got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about the offense, the defense, some quick takeaways there, and then we're going to spend a lot of time with your reactions and questions in the Mile High Mailbag. But first, we got to talk about my bookie because watching football, sure, it's fun. 
but it is more entertaining when you have some action on the games. You guys, you've heard us talking about this for weeks. Some of you, though, are still on the sidelines. But here's the thing. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into 600 And there's so much to bet on. You got basketball, you got hockey, you got the UFC, you got all kind of stuff coming up. My bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with, though, all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site, which is key, is easy to use. Backed by popular demand, my bookie will offer a 100% bonus for one more week this year. That's right. If you've been thinking about placing a pick all season, but you haven't quite pulled the trigger, Now's the time to make your move because after this kickoff Sunday, you can kiss that bonus goodbye. Also, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter or Instagram. They personally respond to every mention in DM, not to mention the fact that they've given away nearly ten grand in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted by following at Bet my bookie on Twitter. So log on to my bookie right now. Don't miss out on this last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use promo code HUDDLE and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's promo code HUDDLE. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Zach. Now you touched on it. I mean, arguably this was Case Keenum's best game as a Bronco. I mean, it's his first game without a turnover. And for example, the throw he made to Jeff Hyerman in the red zone that resulted in the touchdown, I tweeted right after it happened. I said, that's probably the best throw Case Keenum has made all season long. And, you know, it wasn't exactly huge numbers. If you look at Keenum's stat line, he went 26 for 42, came 10 yards shy of 300. He had his touchdown. And then that ubiquitous, absolute statistic quarterback rating of a 90.4 but he got a lot of guys involved one two three four five six seven eight different receivers two of which were tight ends you know he seemed to be for the most part doing a good job at feeling the rush his pocket presence and awareness I thought was overall a lot more improved over the last few weeks Mm -hmm. there was a few points in the fourth quarter I was like come on man but by and large it was an improved performance from him on an awareness perspective on a accuracy perspective on moving the ball up and down the field and just being smart with the football. There weren't any boneheaded plays, and unfortunately, they come up just short, which is one of the, I guess, ironies or football tragedies of this particular loss is you finally get a solid performance and a tight, clean performance from Case Keenum, and Vance Joseph makes that decision in the second quarter, and then the kicker misses one from 51 yards in which he's normally bulletproof 100% right on the money. I we share a brain because I tweeted the exact same thing at the time that it was his best throw of the entire year case Keenum because he threaded the needle he split two defenders and he threw with anticipation he threw before um Hireman even turned and and for his route he he threw he led him he didn't squeeze a ball in um he he knew where to go with the ball and he showed enough arm strength, enough accuracy. It wasn't an $18 million a year performance. It wasn't a franchise QB performance, but it was definitely by far an upgrade in what we've seen so far. He took care of the football. He didn't fumble. He didn't throw a pick. Um, like you said, his pocket awareness was great. He got out of pressure a few times. He delivered some balls under duress, including on the final drive. 
he was not at all at fault for today. I mean, at all. I don't pin this loss on him at all. And I've been one of his bigger critics. You and I have both been. Yeah. Um, it's finally what you kind of want to build on with Case Keenum. It might be a little too far gone in the season for that now. And it might have taken him nine weeks to turn the light on. But it's definitely um, to not go without interception, to have a, a plus passer rating. It's definitely encouraging for this team. If he can just give them that more often, they can win more games. As long as it doesn't turn the football over. Unfortunately, for as long as they have this coach in charge, it's not going to matter. Yeah. I mean, he was able to move the ball in the clutch, two fourth down conversions. I mean, you got to tip your cap to Keenum. And after the game at the podium, he did his best to remain positive and and try to be uplifting in, in his message to the fans and the media. Continued to show his faith and props in not only Vance Joseph, but also his kicker, Brandon McManus. So good and encouraging performance from Case Keenum, unfortunately, just wasn't quite enough. Now, the offensive line, they had a really tough matchup today. I mean, they were going against a really stiff Texans front seven that has playmakers. I mean, just replete with playmakers from Jadeveon Clowney to J.J. Watt to Whitney Merciless. And off-ball linebackers are really good. And you could see that come out in the wash. I mean, the Broncos had a really hard time getting anything going on the ground despite Philip Lindsay's twitch and explosiveness and getting through that hole in a hurry. The Broncos were held to just 75 yards on the ground, which I think is the second lowest total they have on the season. But the lowest one they have, I think, was against the Rams, but they were playing from behind the entire game. So really, I think this was the, in terms of bang for buck, this was the worst performance from the Broncos' offensive line from a run blocking perspective, but they had a tough matchup. And as far as pass protection, again, Keenum did a good job feeling the rush, or better job, I should say. He was sacked twice, and you didn't see any of those crucial penalties with the exception of, I guess, Max Garcia on that final drive, but they were still able to overcome that. What were your thoughts overall on the offensive lines at? Max Garcia is so awful. I hate watching him play in pass protection. He's just, he's really bad. The, I want to give a shout out to Garrett Bowles real quick because he had the penalty of the false start, but I thought he was going to get destroyed today. I thought he was going to get benched and Vance left that possibility open that now that Valdir has returned, uh, Bowles could be benched for him or Billy Turner. He held up pretty well. Keenum didn't feel too much pressure from the outside, and Valdir's return did help. But I thought J.J. Watt was going to have a field day, and I think uh, Watt's sack came on the inside. The mm-hmm. interior struggled a little bit, um, especially after Paradis went down, which was unfortunate. Um, other than Max Garcia, though, I think the O-line in pass protection held up well. It it was a benefit that Keenum had good pocket, pocket presence and got out of sacks. Um, but I didn't really fault them for that. Run blocking, yeah, that was surprising. The Texans have a top 10 run defense, but they've been, the Broncos, a top five run blocking unit every single game this year. It's been the biggest surprise of the offense. So the fact that Philip Lindsay couldn't get going, they didn't have Royce Freeman, Devontae Booker had a fumble and they kind of hmm. shied away with him um, after that fumble. It, it wasn't a great game on the ground, but in pass protection, I give them a lot of credit because that's not an easy front to block at all. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Garcia, you know, he wasn't the plan for the Denver Broncos at left guard this year. Let's face it, that was supposed to be Ronald Leary, but he got clowned by Jadeveon Clowney. So bad. Big time. And I think for the most part, though, from a a pass rush perspective, the Broncos offensive line did a pretty good job mitigating the likes of Watt, Clowney, Merciless. I mean, Watt and, and Clowney each got their sack, but... It was a pretty good job from a pass protection standpoint, and both you and I wrote about this in the days leading up to the game, that with with Valdir's return and just kind of reading between the lines of some of the things Vance Joseph had said publicly, 
that there was a real possibility of Garrett Bowles getting benched. But I think now with Matt Paradis going down, it's going to be a lot harder for Bowles to lose his job just because they're going to need Billy Turner. Uh, I, I think they kept – wasn't it Elijah Wilkinson that came in to play right guard when yeah. they had to move McGovern and, and over? McGovern to center, yeah. So who knows? I could be wrong on that. Maybe they'll, they, they still could – you know, make a change there at left tackle. But Bowles played a lot better, I think, knowing that he he maybe they had a conversation with him, who knows, but at least he had the instinct to know which way the wind was blowing, that, look, I'm on thin ice, i got to play. i got to compete, just as his head coach was telling the media this week that he's got to compete, and I think he came through. Now, let's touch on Matt Paradis's injury. Not good. Mm-hmm. Um, it came Brutal. with 43 seconds left in the first half. He got his... His uh, leg rolled on, and that came after he entered this game with 3,850 consecutive snaps to begin mm-hmm. his career. I mean, he's been Denver's Iron Man. That was the second longest active streak in the NFL, and I think reports indicate he's done for the season. Is that right, Zach? I think he's at a minimum of six weeks with a fractured fibula, okay. but other than, he needs surgery, and he'll be out the rest of the year. He's only, you know, eight weeks left, so... And it's- it's really unfortunate, too, not just for the team, Zach, but you got Matt Paradis in a contract year, and he was, I mean, even if Denver chose not to pay him, he was on deck to make some serious coin on the open okay. market, and you got to wonder how this is going to affect that. I feel so bad for him, you know, because he deserved an extension even before this year, and his reps and the Broncos opened, you know, baseline talks before the season, and they were working toward a deal. It was going to get done. He deserves it. He's been a top five center every single season, hasn't missed a single snap, and you're talking about a guy who came off bilateral hip surgery last year, didn't miss a single snap. Uh, he's an incredible talent, an incredible teammate, and I feel totally gutted for him. It's a brutal business. It couldn't come in a worse time. Yeah. Hopefully he heals up and there's no ligament damage, and the Broncos will do right by him and give him a, a nice contract, but it yeah. definitely hurts his value to some extent. Depends, I think, a little bit on how well McGovern weathers the storm as the center, and who knows? They might not keep it as that. They might put in Sam Jones because mm-hmm. Sam Jones did not dress on Sunday, and so they didn't have the option to insert him keep McGovern at right guard. So it wouldn't surprise me, because I know the coaches are really high on him, if they give him a chance and just see how that goes before making the permanent decision to make McGovern the center. But I still think that with his track record, Matt Paradis is going to make some money in this next contract. And I do think the Broncos, barring something unforeseen happening, I do think they're going to find a way to bring him back. But yeah, it definitely limits uh, and mitigates his potential Paradis for really cashing in on what has been a phenomenal start to his career. Now, we move on. Let's touch on really quick. The tight ends just went off. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Jeff Hireman, where has this Jeff Hireman been all these years? I mean, if you got that level of of execution and performance from Jeff Hireman on a consistent basis, you'd be talking about a top 15 tight end in this league as opposed to one of the worst graded tight ends in the NFL going into this game per pro football focus. But last thing before I serve this over to you, between he and Matt Lacoste, the Broncos tight ends combined for 11 receptions and 127 combined yards, and then, of course, that touchdown. 
Hyreman was unstoppable. I, he looked like Travis Kelsey out there. I don't know where this has been, but he was a third round pick. You know, they did use a high round draft pick on him with the with the potential for him to break out. And I don't know if Bill Musgrave had an emphasis on getting the tight ends involved or if it was a breakdown from the Texans defense. But this is a totally different Jeff Hyreman. This was a career game for him. And this is definitely something that's encouraging because when Jake Butt went down, he thought all hope of production from the tight end unit was, was shot. And they had Matt Lacoste, and uh, you know they got rid of uh, Virgil Green last year, and they got rid of uh, Austin Trailer. And Hireman was kind of like lame duck there. It was just seniority. That's why he was around. But it, I, I was uh, blown away. He turned into a safety blanket for Case Keenum, and um, he led the team. I did not see that coming at all. Yeah, I mean, if he can play like that, he's a real asset to the team. If he can do that on a consistent basis, the problem is you just see that you know peppered in to mostly inconsistent and lackluster performances from Jeff Hireman. In fact, he didn't even start this game out particularly well. There was that pick play. It was kind of a tight end screen on third down that he dropped, which was his only target that did not connect uh, today. He was targeted 11 times, hauled in 10 of them. But after that, man, he hit the ground running. If he can play like that consistently, the Broncos might have good reason to try and re-sign him maybe somewhere around the same kind of number as a Virgil Green back in the day when they re-signed Green. But he's going to have to string together, Zach, a few performances like the one in Week 9 in order for the Broncos to feel like they need to pay him anything other than veteran minimum. I don't want to be a wet blanket, but I don't see him continuing this momentum forward. I mean, you saw it last year in that Colts game on Thursday night. He went off. He caught that, what was like a 60-yard touchdown or whatever, and then he went back Mm -hmm. to being invisible. I I would not expect him to do this every single week. I want to know what happened for Case Keenum to just lock on him with every other passing snap and the Texans' defense to to just not account for him at all. I hope he can continue it. I hope he can build on it. I I just wouldn't hold my breath on that happening. Yeah, I think part of it was an X's and O's thing from the from the coordinators to try and counter that front seven. They ran a lot of two tight end sets, which kind of forces the quarterback to utilize the personnel that's on the field. And if you've got as many tight ends as receivers on the field, they're going to end up getting more targets than usual. So that played a role in it. But yeah, it was kind of an eye opening per, uh, experience on Sunday. If the Broncos can continue to get this kind of performance out of Hireman, why wouldn't you try and feature him a little bit more? So we'll see if uh, coming out of the bye, he can string together another performance like this one. But overall, you saw kind of a quiet night from Emmanuel Sanders. Cortland Sutton had a good first half and then disappeared in the second half. And then really, Philip Lindsay, aside from a few hard runs and a few really good plays, as far as those, those big game-changing plays, we weren't really able to see that from Philip Lindsay. Yeah, this is where the Broncos miss Royce Freeman as that early down workhorse. And you bring in a healthy, fresh, speedy Philip Lindsay on third down, and it's pretty much unstoppable. He's not a workhorse. He's not going to be a 30-touch-a-game running back. Um, and the Texas defense, like I said, you got to give them credit, too. The opponents get paid also, and they played a good game. They're a good defense. So Philip Lindsay, he was bound to come back down to earth at some point, you know. So they're going to have their struggles and they're going to go through some uh, ups and downs and have some hiccups. I, I want Sanders to get more involved still. He has a hundred yard potential every single game. 
regardless of opponent. And I just think they wait a little too long to get him involved. I, you know, the play calling to me is still a little too inconsistent regardless. I give Musgrave credit for calling way more play action. At, you know, he he started off in three wide. That's his favorite set. And then he went to play action more times in one game than he did the rest of the season combined. So he's finally learning and adapting. I wish he'd stick with the run more. When Royce Freeman comes back, that'll help. But I want Sanders to be more involved. I want more deep shots. I want more uh, posts over the middle. I want more crossing routes. I want more creativity. If they can do that, this offense can be much better. Yeah. I remain, you know, I've, I've criticized Musgrave at times this year, no doubt about it. But I do remain mostly positive on Musgrave. Like, I think he's, his problem has been mostly quarterback play as opposed to anything X's and O's. And I think the biggest thing for him, and I think you saw that a little bit more on Sunday, but maybe not as far as they should have. But the mindset, we've talked about it on this show before, that paradigm shift they got to have and face the facts that Case Keenum is not franchise caliber quarterback. Nope. You know, he's he's just shy. Like he's, you know, he's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL and just a low-grade starting caliber. And in that, in such a case, we've talked about it on the show many times, you got to dial things back. You got to focus on the run game. You got to limit the quarterback's the load on his plate, so to speak. And if you do that, you give a guy like Case Keenum more of an opportunity to succeed. And so hopefully coming out of this bye, that'll give them some time too maybe to Musgrave and, and his staff to kind of diagnose, do a little self-scouting, and perhaps – be a little bit more fine-tuned heading into week 11. I give Musgrave credit. Like I say, credit where credit's due. Keenum wins off play action. That's why he was so successful in Minnesota last year. And there was a lack of play action to this point. And you saw the results. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Case Keenum had his best game of the season, which isn't saying much, when the Broncos ran more play action. It's just what he does best. He rolls the pocket. Get him on the run. Get him away from pressure. I don't think it's any coincidence. If if Musgrave can just find that identity, use more boot action, more moving pockets, more rollouts, you can get this offense going. It might be too late to have any sort of meaningful impact, but you can make the case for Keenum to be the starting quarterback in 2019 with a solid end to this season. Yeah, and that's really been the story of this year is Case Keenum has his, his best game of the season, but it's not really saying much. You know, that's not no. it's not having the kind of game-changing impact that a true franchise player has on the outcome of a game and, of course, the outcome of a season. All right, so we move on. Let's talk about the defense just briefly here, and then we'll jump into the mile-high mailbag. But I think overall, the Broncos' defense played about as well as you could hope them to against a really hot quarterback and a really hot offense. My only gripe with the Broncos' defense really – I shouldn't say only, but my biggest gripe with the Broncos' defense in Week 9 – was they seemed to have no plan, no viable plan to take away DeAndre Hopkins. In fact, before this game, and for those of you who are VIP subscribers, you know this, but each and every Saturday morning, Josh Carney publishes a film piece which really focuses on the opposing team's kind of tip of the spear offensively. And of course, in this instance, it was DeAndre Hopkins and and really the Watson to Hopkins connection. And after he broke down the film, basically what Josh laid out was that the Broncos would be best served by deploying their top corner, which is Chris Harris, on this guy as much as they possibly can man-on-man. And then in key situations like obvious passing downs or third down, you give Harris a little bit of help over the top 
bracketing him with a safety or even over the middle with a, a safety kind of accounting for the middle of the field. But Zach, we didn't see any of that. There was, I can think of five different times right now, just off the top of my head, and I haven't even gone back and watched the coach's film, in which the first man to Hopkins upon a reception was a linebacker or a safety. Now, I understand the Broncos do not have great talent or depth at corner behind Chris Harris, but you're still going to be your odds of defending and succeeding against DeAndre Hopkins, Zach, are going to be greatly increased if you have a corner guarding him in coverage. Man, it all comes down to coaching. Like I said, every single week there's a coverage breakdown in the secondary, and that falls on the coaching staff. It falls on Joe Woods and Vance Joseph. And the touchdown reception, uh, you saw Adam Jones – and Justin Simmons barking at each other. They were mm-hmm. fighting on the sideline. I mean, that's just frustration, and that's just embarrassment on their parts, and that's not putting them in the best possible situation to succeed. They're still playing soft zone. They're still giving cushions. They're putting linebackers on receivers. I mean, Hopkins went off for 100 yards. He was going to get his yards. And like you said, there, there should have been an easy bracket coverage for him available. They should never have him one-on-one with a linebacker or anything other than a cornerback. Chris Harris Jr. should have been glued to his hip all game long. So um, it's really simple to say that it comes down to the scheme. And until that improves, we're going to continue talking about this every single week. I tweeted during the game that Justin needs to change his name to Almost Simmons because... How about Jamerson? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what, what was that about? <laughs> I know, that was, it was just bizarre, but um, that's why, you know, if you're in the broadcast game or you're in the NFL analyst coverage game, you really need to have your name pronunciations down and no players. I don't, I don't expect every <laughs> TV broadcast guy or even all of my writers, for example, that work for us at Mile High Huddle, to like know and pronounce the name of every opponent perfectly. I mean, that'd be tough to do, but I'm kind of a stickler with regard to pronunciation of names. Like if you're covering a team or if you're covering a league, you need to know how to pronounce guys' names, let alone completely get them wrong. But anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. But Justin Simmons, and another thing I tweeted is, he has been arguably one of the most disappointing players of 2018 for the Broncos. Case Keenum, big letdown. Mm. And I think really if, besides Bradley Roby, you got to point to Justin Simmons as the biggest disappointment for the Denver Broncos from a player perspective in 2018 because we talked a lot about it on the show. We wrote a lot about it. I mean, we expected Justin Simmons to play at a Pro Bowl level in year three. And he's been, I mean, you, you can go look at the pro football focus ratings. I mean, film aside, box score analysis aside, Scouting aside, just look at the grades at Pro Football Focus. I think when I wrote it, I did the, the breakdown of all the grades on the Denver Broncos for PFF earlier this week. I think he was graded at like 40 or 50, somewhere in there, of safeties in the NFL, which means from a starting perspective, he's one of the worst safeties in the NFL. And that just, it's one of the, it's just part and parcel of what's going wrong for this Denver Broncos team. And I think a lot of the reason for Simmons not living up to expectations this year is the overall regression in talent at the cornerback level and in his counterparts at the safeties without Sua Cravens. He's really having to, it's affected his confidence in terms of believing and knowing that his guys are going to have their assignments down. What that does to really good players, especially those that have really high football IQ, is it makes them feel like they have to be the one to do that person's job. So they're trying to do two jobs. They spread themselves thin. You know, no man can serve two masters, whatever. 
you know you want to say about it. I think he's just pressing a little too hard, which is one of the reasons he's he's fallen short. I'm with you. I thought he had legitimate Pro Bowl. Con- you know, I thought he'd be a shoe in to make the Pro Bowl, maybe even All Pro, and it just hasn't happened. I don't really put the blame on him necessarily. He's been out of position a couple times. But you look at what's around him, and that's a lot of the moving parts. Uh, three different starting cornerbacks or different cornerbacks. Roby, uh, they brought in Brock, Adam Jones. They brought in the safety and Sue Cravens. Darian Stewart has fallen off. So he doesn't really have that much talent around him anymore. I mean, they're not this no flies on the secondary. And I wonder, and I, I wonder this aloud, if you put Justin Simmons in a better coach defense, if you put him on the Rams right now under Wade Phillips, would he play better? Would he be a pro bowler? Does it come down to coaching? Does it come down to the scheme? Yeah. I happen to think that he has pro bowl potential. And I happen to think with a better coaching staff in place, he will make the Pro Bowl. He's been disappointing. Um, if he, he blew that assignment, that was on him today. And that's his fault. I'm not going to exonerate him for that. I just think, though, in a better scheme, more aggressive scheme, with more stable talent around him, he blossomed into a Pro Bowl player. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the right coaching raises all ships, just like having the right quarterback raises all ships. I mean, you look at the way the Rams defense played under Jeff Fisher. They were, talk about almost, they were one of those teams, always very physical, but they just couldn't make those type of plays in the clutch, kind of like this Broncos defense where you know they played well, but there was those two or three plays that just made the difference between them winning and losing. In comes Sean McVay and then, of course, Wade Phillips. And all of a sudden, you see everyone across the board elevating their game because they're getting the right coaching, they're getting prepared, their mindsets are in the right place, the X's and O's are on point, and everyone rises to the occasion. All ships are raised. And in th- the same is true. If you don't have coaches or if you have coaches that are in over their head, if there's any flavor of incompetence, especially at the coordinator and head coach level, you're going to see players, you're going to see entire units begin to slide and just not play up to potential. And I think that's exactly your right. What's going on here, especially with Justin Simmons. Now, there's a few players, too, uh, that made their de- debut officially for the Denver Broncos. We've already touched on Sua Cravens, who was kind of so-so. He was whatever. He had that one play in which he was called for a defensive hold. But you also saw the debut of rookie linebacker Alexander Johnson, formerly known as A.J. Johnson, the Tennessee kid. River Craycraft as well, who was promoted from the practice squad to the active roster earlier this week after the Broncos waived Isaiah McKenzie. So what were your thoughts on the, the new faces we saw for the Broncos, which I think fans need to get used to as this season winds on. You're going to see a lot more of these young players getting their shot. But what were your thoughts on Cravens and what little we saw from Johnson? Then, of course, Craycraft, who was actually on the field quite a bit on offense, more than I expected, and then, of course, returned a punt or two. Uh, Cravens, to me, he didn't really stand out. I put him in my bad category. I do a good, bad, and the ugly after every game on Twitter, and I put him in bad, and I got some blowback from that. He really didn't impress me. I mean, he had one run stop, it looked like. He was in on a run play, but that defensive hold was such a crucial penalty. It was the worst possible time to commit that. So I wasn't really impressed, and I wasn't really dismayed. It was just like a mad game for him. Uh, In terms of A.J. Johnson, he has immediate special teams value. I don't think he's ready to contribute on defense yet. This was his first football game in four years. I mean, the guy doesn't have to get his legs under him. But in terms of special teams on kickoff coverage, I think he's pretty good. He'll be around the Broncos for a few years at least. He's a great developmental guy to have. Uh, Craycraft, he had that punt return. He he looks sure-handed. He's like an off-brand version of Wes Welker. He's like the great value version of Wes Welker. You know, uh, he could be that that shifty, young, gritty receiver. I don't want to put too many more cliches out there, but you get what I'm saying. But you can count on him. 
Right, exactly. I mean, he's, he's reliable, and I think he's another guy. They're going to continue hanging around either the practice squad or the active roster. Um, in terms of debuts, I, really, I couldn't find anything particularly bad. I thought they all did things pretty well for the most part. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for Cravens is just having his football legs under him, so to speak, and settling into situational football. For example, that defensive hold, you know, that's the type of thing you would expect to see from a guy in week one. Well, this is his week one, you know, and it's kind of, you kind of have to learn the school of hard knocks when certain things are are no-nos and how long you can hold on to a guy after the snap before letting him go before it gets called a defensive hold. And now he knows, and now it's been reinforced. And hopefully, you know, the idea is you don't see that any further from Alexander Johnson. But yeah, I mean, overall it was, it was a solid beginning, but he finished the game just for what it's worth. Sue Cravens with three combined tackles, two of which it looks here he was credited as solo in the box score. But again, Zach and I, we record these literally right after the game. So neither one of us have studied the film or watched this thing more than once. So we're just going off TV broadcast. But let's move on because I think we've kind of flogged this horse to death. I mean, the last thing we should probably touch on real quick, Zach, defensively is I thought Von Miller and Bradley Chubb continued their trend of just wrecking shop and you know, they did a good job of walking that razor's edge, just like they've done with some of these mobile quarterbacks in weeks past, where they were able to pressure Deshaun Watson while mostly keeping him contained. But I will say this, Watson finished with more rushing yards from the quarterback position than the Broncos have allowed all year long. Uh, Deshaun Watson finished with 38 yards rushing. So there was a couple times they had him dead to rights, but he kind of squirted through and slipped through, which is just really a credit to his talent and ability as a quarterback. I actually thought Watson didn't play that great a game. He drifted back in the pocket way too many times. If he would have just stepped up, there was running lanes available for him. So uh, I wasn't really that impressed with Deshaun Watson in terms of being a runner. Uh, The entire Broncos defensive line, they got amazing push. They had, what, 10 tackles for losses, and they had four or five sacks. The, The defensive front seven played extremely well. And here's just for a hot take. Bradley Chubb right now is playing better football than Von Miller. I, I am just completely blown away from what I'm seeing. The transformation, hes the light bulb that's flicked on the last couple of weeks has been incredible. He has eight sacks. Yep. He has—he needs, I, I think it's 14 or 14 and a half is the uh, single season record for a rookie. He's going to break that. He's a legitimate defensive rookie of the year candidate. He's already a rookie of the month. Um, he He's re- making tackles and run support. He's getting to the quarterback, pressuring. He's doing it all right now. Von Miller had his sack, uh, but he's being really outshined right now by his counterpart. I think the teacher, uh, the student is kind of surpassing the teacher. That's kind of what you want to see, just like when the Broncos drafted Vaughn. Didn't take him long to outshine Elvis Doomerville. And so you want to see that. He's younger, he's twitchier, he's got more juice. And not to take anything away from Vaughn Miller, but really the last four games from Bradley Chubb have been sensational. I mean, this is the fourth consecutive game in which he's posted a tackle for a loss. And today against the Texans, he had multiple TFLs. And then, of course, through the last four games, he's got six and a half sacks. So he's uh, definitely in the zone and... I agree with you on Watson. There were some times he showed tremendous poise and playmaking ability, but he didn't have his best game. This was a gettable game for the Broncos. I mean, this was a winnable game. Again, it just comes down to those two or three plays that could totally reshape and change the face and the outcome of a game like this. Now, we move on to the Mile High Mailback where we want to spend some time, help you exercise the demons because Zach and I are your football priests. You know this. Each and every week, we're here to offer the absolution and answers to your burning 
Broncos questions, and there are no shortage of them today. And we start with Bronco Forever on Twitter, at Kava Snoopy. I don't know how you say that, but his question is, is this the end of the Vance Joseph era? I think we've done a good job of answering that already, Zach, but any any additional thoughts here for Bronco Forever? I, nothing surprised me with John Elway. And like I said, I don't th- think it's going to come. I will gladly eat crow because I've been on the fire VJ bandwagon for over a year now. I, I just I just don't see it. It's just a gut feeling of mine. I think they give him until December sometime in there or they give him until the end of the year, which I think is the most realistic option. I just don't see it happening the next couple of days. More reaction rolling in from the listeners of Broncos country. David Free says, Vance Joseph is a terrible coach. They can't allow this to go on another week. Aquaman H2O on Twitter uh, tweets us a, a meme, fire Vance Joseph, showing that he's, his petition to get him fired has gotten up to close to 1,500 signatures online. <laughs> Evan says, Case Keenum plays an amazing game, gives the Broncos a chance to win with some clutch throws on the final drive, and Vance Joseph is an <laughs> idiot. But again, that's the thing is like, I think it's important to note here, you guys, and Zach did a great job of pointing this out. This was one of the best games from Case Keenum all year long, and it still wasn't enough. He's, I mean, it was solid, but like Case Keenum's performances, Zach, they're just not enough to be the difference. For example, if Peyton Manning plays this game against the Texans today, the Broncos win by two or three scores because of how well the Broncos' defense was playing. I I don't think it's an amazing game. I think that's a, a kind of a stretch to say he had one touchdown and 200-something yards. I mean, it wasn't an incredible Aaron Rodgers classic MVP game. Right. It was the best we've seen from Case Keenum, and that's relative. It's like saying Keenum's an upgrade on Trevor Simeon. It's not saying much. I mean, it's all relative to what we've seen so far. It was an Im- improvement. Was it $18 million worth? Was it 25 guaranteed, 36 overall? I don't think so. I think he needs to show a little more than that. But it was he was not at fault for today's loss. For right. once, it was not his fault. And I think the Broncos, if you got a performance like this out of Case Keenum each and every week, I think the Broncos in a season, 16 full games like this, they win far more games than they lose, but yep. it's still not enough to be the difference between a win and a loss. Another one here comes from Aquaman, the same guy says, how can a football professional manage the clock so Poorly. And another thing that I want to point to, and since we're talking about clock here from Aquaman, is at the end of the game, the Broncos, oddly on third and short, chose to go for it uh, before the clock hit the two minute warning instead of letting it hit, you know, sacrificing that one or two seconds you give up and making a more thought out decision on what to do on third down. They ended up converting on fourth down on the next play. But that was another situation in which you wonder why the coach isn't saying, hey, getting into the headset of his offensive coordinator so that he can communicate the case. Hey, let's let this hit the hit the, the two-minute warning so that we can decide what to do here. Hey, you want to talk about clock management? Look at Andy Reid, Herman Edwards. I mean, coaches historically have struggled with the clock, but those coaches did positive things elsewhere. There's not one positive thing that Vance Joseph brings to the table, not one. He doesn't do anything well. And his situational in-game management has been an earmark of his era, of his coaching tenure with the Broncos. He has gotten worse from year one to year two. He has regressed. He's shown no improvement, even with uh, you know being on the hot seat, even with a better roster, an easier schedule, better quarterback. It has not mattered. The one constant, the one denominator is Vance Joseph. 
And until that changes, the Broncos are going to continue to lose football games. It starts at the top. It starts with Vance Joseph. It all comes down to coaching. Well, just like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, we have Winning Raven on Twitter, at WinningRaven1, who says, in regard to Case Keenum playing well, what are you smoking? Were we watching the same game? Keenum is hot garbage. He missed so many throws today, which I would at least argue with you, Winning Raven, that he was hot garbage. He was a lot better than hot garbage in Week 9, but I don't think your overall premise is wrong that I mean, at this point, that's what we're considering to be a good quarterback performance for the Denver Broncos. Like, that's what we've seen. A guy who throws one touchdown, doesn't turn the ball over, is relatively efficient from a completion percentage perspective. Work a lot of fans, including analysts too, like us, we're saying, you know what, that's that's a good that's a step in the right direction from Case Keenum. But again, Zach, it's just not enough. Case Keenum, the Broncos paid him commensurate, I mean, eighteen million dollars a year. I mean, that's $1 million short of what they were paying Peyton Manning. Now, granted, the QB market changes, and it just continues to grow exponentially each and every year. I mean, just look at what Kirk Cousins is making in Minnesota as an example. So Case Keenum, he's like, I think, the 19th highest paid quarterback in the NFL. But the Bron- And that's probably about what the Broncos got today. They probably got about a 19th best quarterback performance, whereas in most of the games leading up to this one, they were paying him at 19th best in the league, but they were getting like 32nd, 33rd, 34th best quarterback in the league. Keenum should have had another touchdown. He put one in the bucket to Cortland Sutton, and either Sutton dropped it or the defender knocked it away. It should have been a touchdown. He was not hot garbage in the least, and I've been a big, big critic of Case Keenum. It was not his fault today. I mean, you talk about missed throws. I can't recall many missed throws that he made. He made throws that were largely impossible. That touchdown to Hireman, the, um, uh, he had one on the final drive where he evaded pressure. He was getting hit. I, I don't think he was hot garbage at all. He's been in the past, but today was not his fault. He played well enough to win. The Broncos should have won this game, and they would have won this game if they had a better man underneath the headset. Now, here's one. We kind of changed the tune here a little bit. This comes from our friend Driscoll Jones, a consistent, steady listener of the show. Shout out to you, Driscoll. He says, Vance isn't the effing kicker. Haven't heard one thing yet about Brandon McManus missing two field goals. GTFOH. I'll let you guys decipher that particular <laughs> acronym there but it's true I mean I'm not going to fault McManus for missing that 62 yarder on such short notice like it didn't appear as who knows we don't know this for sure but it didn't appear as if anything had been communicated to McManus like hey if we don't pick up this third down you're still going for it get ready get in your headspace that you need to be in to convert this bad boy it almost felt like a by the seat of the pants he missed that but I'll agree with you Driscoll Highly disappointing to see him miss that 51-yarder to win the game in the clutch, which more often than not in games past and years past, that's a kick he comes through on. Completely agree with both of you. I mean, the 60-yarder, the 60 that was not an easy kick to make. I mean, with the clock running down at the end of the first half, with a lot of wind in the stadium, I don't fault him for that. But the 51-yarder, that's in his wheelhouse, in that friendly altitude with his big leg. So they gave him a contract extension. He's been money to this point this season. I thought he'd make it. I was surprised when he pulled that kick. So, um Vance might not be the kicker. They're both at fault. But if you had to pick one as the culprit, I'm leaning toward Vance Joseph. There are three plays that made the difference here, or or three situations that were critical. Vance Joseph's decision at the end of the second quarter, the fumble from Devontae Booker, which led to a seven-point swing 
in which the Texans just struck gold on the sudden change. And then, of course, McManus missing the game winner, the 51-yard field goal. Those were the three plays that if they go the other way, the Broncos win this game. But here's another one from Tucker. He says, Tucker Yabara on Twitter, at TuckBill34, McManus has a track record of success that should give him a pass. VJ is not a good head coach, can't win on the road. This wasn't a road game, but maybe that's not what he meant. And that challenge in the first half was a mistake, plus a myriad of time management issues, which we've touched on. But do you agree that McManus's track record gives him a pass to miss a game in which the Broncos needed that? I mean, he, he, they needed that kick. They needed this win. I, I don't really agree with that because he was so inconsistent last year. He needed to prove something this season, and to this point, yeah, he had the track record. He's been money this season, but last year was a very, very down year for Brandon McManus. It was awful. Yep. It was the career-worst year after getting paid. So um, it, it's inexcusable. Unless you're Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, you can't fall back on your laurels and your reputation. You have to perform each and every Sunday or someone else will take your job. Both were at fault for today's game. I'm not exonerating either of them. I just think that with better coaching, better clock management they would have won this game that's all i'm saying here's one from leora and this is just i don't know maybe it's because i manage multiple large denver broncos social media accounts but i'm really getting tired of this one it's just it's just old it was okay last year but leora says at least it was another good week of practice we hear you (laughs) change the tune change the tune find a new one here uh last thing here and then we're going to get out of here from uh, Tucker Ibarra again. I actually dislike Vance Joseph more than Josh McDaniels. That's an amazing statement from me. It could be recency bias, but this dude cannot coach his way out of a wet paper bag. Flaming hot take right there because of how despised Josh McDaniels was. But I will say this in his defense, Josh, that he brought something to the table. He was an offensive-minded head coach who was kind of innovative. It didn't work out. He wasn't ready to coach the Broncos at that time. He wanted to be Bill Belichick 2.0. And as you saw with Eric Mangini in the Jets, I mean, there's only one Bill Belichick. You can try to emulate him, but you're not him. Maybe in his next coaching stint, McDaniels will be better, and I think he will be. Um, but Vance brings nothing to the table, whereas McDaniels had a proven track record as an offensive-minded head coach. So uh, it's it's pretty sad, though, when it only took you about a year to be up there in that ring of shame with Josh McDaniels. Uh, well, the, the quintessential moment for me in that I knew – Things were not as they seemed with regard to Josh McDaniels. And you might not remember this, Zach, because I know you weren't covering the team, and I remember all the moments. But right. 2009, Broncos get out to that hot 6-0 start. Everything looks great. Looks like Pat Bowen made the decision of all decisions to fire Mike Shanahan and go to the young guy in Josh McDaniels. But there was that game in which during – I can't remember where it fell on the six-game winning streak to open the year, but the Broncos beat the New England Patriots. And they were wearing the old throwback jersey, the yellow and brown. And anyway, Broncos win. And then after the game, McDaniels kind of does one of those around the stadium rah-rahs to the crowd. Like, he was so fired up to have beaten Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And it was like, that's weird, dude. Like, show some class. Show like you've been there before. But he was like going off like he could not believe he beat the New England Patriots. Which It was his Super Bowl. It really was. But last thing, this one just came in. And I think this is something we haven't touched on today, so I want to read it from Cole Mason on Twitter, at Cole Mason 41 Denver finally plays to their strengths on offense. Keenum plays his best game of the season. Do you think he could still be the guy if he had better coaching? 
Yeah, we said that last show. I said put Case Keenum in a Sean McVay offense, Kyle Shanahan. He's much better. I don't think Bill Musgrave suits his strengths very well. You saw it in Minnesota. Better coach team, better performance Case Keenum. It's not a coincidence. It wasn't an outlier. It's If you put them in a, a best possible place to succeed, if you fit a round peg in a round hole, you're going to get positive results. But Bill Musgrave has taken a round peg and tried to jam it over and over into a square hole. It's not going to happen. They try to treat him like this franchise thing. And the Broncos deluded themselves into thinking that he was this uh, this guy who hasn't scratched his potential yet. He might have hit his ceiling last year, but he's better than what we've seen. With a better coordinator, better coaching staff, he would be better. You would get these performances at a minimum, not an interception and a fumble every single week. Whether he could be the quarterback next year, I think is immaterial because they're paying him so much money. They don't have the backup quarterback on the roster. Uh, there's not any free agents out there. It's on a strong draft class. He'll be the, the QB anyway, the QB one next year. But this next seven games can determine whether they're going to resign him or whether they're going to move in a different direction eventually. This is something to build on. If they can give, if he can give the Broncos this type of output at a minimum, they can win more games. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing with I, – I will concur that better coaching is going to raise all ships, and that includes Case Keenum. But I still think – and, you know, who knows? He could change – there's a case to be made for high-priced free agent quarterbacks taking a year to settle into their new environment. There's a, there's a body of work or a track record there, and maybe there's some truth to that with Case Keenum. But I still feel like he's adjusting to the perceptions and expectations of being the guy – Instead of, we've talked about it on this show before, the psychology aspect of him always feeling like, you know, he could lose his job the next day if he doesn't play well. That aspect is gone. That chip on his shoulder from being an undrafted quarterback, having to fight and claw for every opportunity he's ever gotten in the NFL, that's missing this time from his his equation as a quarterback. And I think as such, from a mojo, from a motivation perspective, it's taking him a lot more time to compensate in other ways for that whatever spark he loses not having that and who knows again maybe he'll take a step forward and here's the last thing i'll say is that you know a lot of fans are particularly depressed zach because they're being told by the by the draft guys including the guys at mile high huddle not to get their hopes up because next year's draft class the 2019 draft class is not particularly deep when it comes to quarterback and i'm not refuting that i'm not saying it's wrong I would concur with the guys that at this point, Zach, it's not looking good, but it's still really early in the quote-unquote draft process. For example, if you go back to 2016, this time, uh, well, let's say 2015, everyone knew that Carson Wentz was a, a player that to kind of keep an eye on playing at North Dakota State, but he didn't really pick up momentum in the draft community until the Senior Bowl, and then he really put a, you know, an exclamation point on his his track or his his resume, his draft resume, mm-hmm. with the combine performance. And then, of course, he ends up going number two overall. So, you don't know. There's a few candidates like that that could possibly, you know, coalesce a little bit closer to the draft. So it's something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't completely dismiss 2019's draft class as having a solution for the Broncos. A lot could change between now and then. You never know. 
Let me just say that I think fans are so disappointed in Keenum for the obvious. He's turned the football over. It hasn't been what the Broncos paid for. But the Broncos, they so outspokenly declared Case Keenum as this thing. They built him up from day one as this 30-year-old quarterback who finally found his team. He's finally a starter, and they're only scratching the surface of his potential. The Broncos really set the bar high. And it's fallen so short of it that fans are so disappointed. They're seeing Keenum for who he was and not who he is and not who he was last year. So um, the Broncos really shot themselves in the foot multiple ways with Case Keenum. They could have handled it better. Maybe they could have played it down a little bit. They, they could have been to a more run-heavy admittance that he's not this franchise quarterback. But they really pushed their chips to the center of the table, and it just hasn't worked out. Yep. One thing I'll say, too, is those of you listening to this show, between now and draft season, whenever you get around to it, you need to pull the trigger on becoming a VIP subscriber. I, I suggest you do it now. Don't wait. But we, nobody, nobody in Broncos country amongst the newspapers, the television crews, the blogosphere, nobody covers the NFL draft for Broncos fans the way we do at Mile High Huddle. From our contacts around the league to covering the Senior Bowl in person to covering the uh, Combine in person, and even Zach and I have been talking about. I've I've sent uh, Nick Kendall to the Combine the last two years, and even Zach and I have discussed maybe meeting up ourselves and, and both of us going to the Combine or going to the Senior Bowl this coming Absolutely. season. Absolutely. So you're going to want to be tapped into that and get access to all the inside stuff and the, and especially not just the insider buzz that we pick up. Like what are the, who are the Broncos looking at? Or, you know, what, uh, what are the Broncos going to do, et cetera, et cetera. But also from an analysis perspective, nobody does the NFL draft like mile high huddle. Our guys from Nick to Eric trickle to Carl Dummler to Alex Valdez, all of them do a phenomenal job covering and breaking down the NFL draft the Finding Broncos series in particular is just money. For example, last year, I'll give a quick shout-out to Alex Valdez, who did uh, one of his assignments on Finding Broncos. He chose to scout Cortland Sutton, and he, in that scouting report, said, look, this is a guy the Broncos need to go after. When it said, where's he going to go in the draft, he said he's going to go in the top 40. Where'd he go? He was picked right at number 40. So don't lose heart. Start setting your minds toward the draft and free agency as means in which this team can improve, get access to as much information and analysis on that level, real expert analysis that you can. That's why I suggest right now become a VIP subscriber because we're already breaking it down behind the paywall. Nick had a phenomenal breakdown on the quarterback class of 2019 last week that was for VIP subscribers that you guys just aren't, you're not getting it right now if you're not a VIP. So check that out. But Zach, it's been real. The Broncos are three and six. What a wacky season thus far. It's definitely been a disappointment. Yeah, to say the least, it's been uh, not what the Broncos fans have expected. I mean, you've thought that there'd be a chance they'd break that playoffless streak and they'd finally get back with a better coaching staff on paper, a better quarterback on paper, better roster, easier schedule, all those weapons on offense. It just hasn't been put together. And I still want to say one more time that if they had a better coach, Mm -hmm. they would have pulled the trigger last year and got rid of Vance Joseph. If John Elway never slept on it, they would have been in a better position. So yeah. all we can do is really just look forward, not back, and hopefully uh, he makes the better choice this time around. You guys, listen, it's been a great uh, episode. Thanks for listening. That's going to do it for today. We are out of time. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. 
Make sure you're subscribing, y'all, whether you're on iTunes or Stitcher or iHeart, wherever, because even though we're hitting the, the bye week, Zach and I will return next week to do a podcast, so make sure you're subscribing. But for Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Keep your chin up. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.